In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. My great-grandfather was named Jacob, or Yaakov, as it would have been pronounced in his native Croatian. He immigrated to the United States as a teenager after both his parents had died young, and like so many immigrants, made a new life for himself in this country. He never talked much about his life back in Croatia, and so our family never knew exactly where he was from or if we might have living relatives anywhere in the country. When I was in college, my grandmother, while cleaning out her house, came across some of Jacob's old documents, and I managed to find a professor on campus who knew Croatian and helped me translate them. We discovered the names of Jacob's parents, my great-great-grandparents, as well as where he was living before he immigrated, the port city, Rijeka. Not only that, but this professor found the addresses of three families currently living in Rijeka that shared our family name, three possible long-lost relatives. So, (laughs) I decided to go to Croatia searching for long-lost family. I went knowing no Croatian, armed with very little other than some translated notes and a photocopy of my great-grandfather's 100-year-old baptismal certificate. Looking back on it now, I must have made quite a sight wandering around Rijeka, which I found was very hilly, a lost look on my face, all my luggage strapped to my back, a bandana across my brow. The first door I knocked on, no one was home. At the second, I was quickly turned away. But at the third... I was greeted by a smiling elderly couple, Gordana and Boris, who inspected my notes and were essentially 100% sure we weren't family. We were from different parts of the country. (laughs) Nonetheless, invited me into their home, served me food and something to drink. And thanks to Gordana speaking a fair amount of English, they shared stories with me about life under communism and the rule of Tito, about the time that the Pope John Paul II came and visited Rijeka and passed in his car just outside their house, about their family, their children, and their grandchildren, including one, a granddaughter, who it turns out just a few years later would end up traveling to the United States and who I got to show around my own city. Our scripture readings today touch on a number of themes, but one that is front and center is hospitality. The act of welcoming in a stranger and also the act of going out into the world hoping to be welcomed. In our passage from Genesis, we see Abraham and Sarah welcoming three strangers who wander into their camp. And though we, the reader, know that Yahweh himself is among this party, it's unclear when or even if Abraham and Sarah realize they are in fact entertaining God. And their hospitality is abundant, effusive. Notice how Abraham runs out to greet them, bows, lets them wash up. And though he promises the strangers just a little bread to eat, he in fact serves them a much more elaborate meal, Sarah's fresh cakes, milk and curds and meat. This fulsome reception contrasts sharply with the very next episode of Genesis, when two angels visit Sodom and are, to put it mildly, received very rudely. 
And in our passage from Matthew, we see Jesus sending the 12 apostles out to minister in the hopes that they too will be met with hospitality, that they will be warmly welcomed and able to live out their ministry of healing and cleansing and curing. Jesus instructs them to take nearly nothing of their own, no money, no sandals, no staff, no food, meaning that they will be reliant entirely on God's grace and on the generosity of strangers. The presumption is that a culture of hospitality will help sustain them, at least in part. Whereas the passage from Genesis reminds us of the joys of hospitality, rich food, unexpected blessings, of laughter, a laughter so great that it becomes Isaac's namesake, Matthew reminds us of the risks, of the fact that we won't always be welcomed, of the fact that sometimes we will fail to welcome people in. Jesus alludes to the story of Sodom to drive home this point. Going out into the world is dangerous, especially when we are living out our Christian calling, a calling that often clashes with the very world we seek to reconcile. All this has left me thinking about hospitality broadly, and why exactly is it a Christian virtue? Surely part of it is practical. Early Christians relied on hospitality as itinerant itinerant missionaries. In the same way, our church today relies on a similar form of generosity in order to sustain its ministry. Part of it is ethics. The New and Old Testament are very clear that welcoming the stranger, especially those in need, is a requirement of God's law and how we live out God's justice. And part of it is spiritual. Again, both the New and Old Testament have stories that make it clear that when we welcome the other, we welcome God. That hospitality is a holy encounter. But I wonder if there might be something still deeper theological, or even if, you, if you'll humor me, metaphysical about hospitality. The act of hospitality, of inviting in, of sharing, of communing with another made in God's image makes manifest who we really are, one of God's beloved, indelibly connected to God and to one another. Christians throughout the ages have found various ways of talking about this truth, the body of Christ, the communion of saints, caritas, umbuntu, but they all boil down to this idea that who we really are is far less about our own ego and far more about the one who created us and those whom we share this mortal life with. The act of hospitality makes this truth obvious and is a truth that we in this country need to remember all the more urgently as technology and suburbanization and partisanship leave us ever more atomized and lonely and estranged from ourselves and from one another. Finally, hospitality also points us forward to the end times, to that time when God will reconcile all things to God's self. It's revealing that one of the primary images, one of the main metaphors that the scriptures use to describe the apocalypse is a banquet. When we welcome or allow ourselves to be welcomed, especially by those who, don't, who we don't know or we have nothing in common with, we anticipate, we testify to that time when God will gather up all nations and all people and on all tongues into one heavenly banquet. Ultimately, Gordana and Boris 
welcomed me into their home, not because we were blood family, but because we were part of the one family, the only one that matters in the end. Just this past week, our church sent out two mission trips, one to Ecuador and another to Appalachia. I haven't had the chance yet to speak with any of those who traveled, but I'm looking forward to hearing about the ways you were all welcomed. The flickers of the divine image you gleaned in those encounters, the stories and the sustenance and the service that you shared with strangers and with neighbors and with friends. I beg you, hold on to this spirit of hospitality that you experienced this week and help us in this church keep it alive. I pray that your witness may inspire us to redouble our efforts to welcome those who come through our doors and also to go out into the world living out our ministry with renewed strength, allowing our presence to be a conduit through which God's heavenly banquet breaks into our ever more lonely world. And one final word. To those of you who are, as we like to say, new or new-ish here at the Chapel of the Cross, those who have visited our church for the first time just this year or last month, or perhaps if today is your very first time here in our church, whether you realize it or not, you have done something courageous. You've taken a risk crossing our threshold, coming to be fed at our table We thank you for your witness. Please allow us to welcome you. Make yourself known to us if you haven't yet by introducing yourself to the person next to you in the pew or by finding finding me or one of the other clergy or our vestry person of the day after the service, joining us in the parish hall after today's service. Whether our community is your final destination or merely a rest stop matters not. We only hope to provide you with the sustenance for whatever lies ahead. One thing that I know for sure, we are not the body of Christ without you. Amen. The Chapel of the Cross is an Episcopal church in the heart of Chapel Hill and the university community. Find out more at thechapelofthecross.org. There you can find our latest news and events, connect with our pastoral care team, Faith in Action Ministries, and offer a prayer request. You can also find us on social media, on Instagram at The Chapel of the Cross, and on Facebook and Twitter at C-O-T-C Chapel Hill. May you be nourished by the word to serve in the world.